Hi everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast from the LPRC. This is the latest in our weekly update series. I'm joined by co-hosts Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Bean, our producer Diego Rodriguez, and our associate producer Wilson Gabarino. And we're joining you to talk a little bit about the LPRC, talk a little bit about crime uh, and what's going on in the world of retailing and how to make sense of it all and 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 make the world a little better and safer. So. Uh, I'll start off and, and wanted to talk a little bit about what we're working on with sensors and why it's just so important uh, in our opinion to to understand what's going on. Uh, so we need that situational understanding and awareness. And how do we do that? What are we looking for? We've talked a little bit before about detection. And so I wanted to kind of expand on that just a little bit today before I uh, head over to my cohorts. But um, we're, we're, of course, trying to detect an offender's presence uh, or their intentions and so on. Where are they? What are they thinking and doing? And how might that harm us, our places, our people, uh, and so on? So detecting the offender's presence, their quantity, uh, their co-offenders, and things like that are important. So let's talk a little bit about some of that. Um, You know, how many are present uh, or on their way or are connected? So we're looking at who are the offender's co-offenders What's that network look like if we can? So what sensors do we need to do that? Um, We're talking about also uh, what locations are they using? What connected places? Uh, We've talked about crime and place is paramount. Uh, Crime events, attempts, uh, and so on take place at certain uh, locations more than others, and they're highly clustered. And this clustering is explained by a lot of variables. It's what's what's going on there, what kind of targets are available, how desirable are they, um, and also how well protected are they, at least how vulnerable they look to be to a would-be offender or offending crew. Um, those things are all important in trying to understand that. And the connected places we know from work by uh, Madsen, Eck, and others uh, on these connected places are where they plan, uh, where they meet each other. Um, where they might hang out and relax, where they hit, uh, where they uh, go to convert stolen goods to cash, for example, um, hide out, uh, and so on. So there are connected places, just like connected people, and our sensors and the detection. There's a whole lot about what we're trying to do there, and we try to do that again with partnerships uh, on the analog side. That's so important law enforcement contacts, other retailers and others that are in asset protection and loss prevention or security. Um, we're trying to do set up all those infrastructures and so on. So we're trying to look at intentions, right? Intentions are important. Motives and motivations are, but they're much more difficult, uh, of course, to divine that, to confirm that. We just don't know always what's in people's heads, but we do know that they're trying to uh, intentionally harm uh, in some way, whether it's theft, fraud, or violence. So that's what we want to understand. Are there intentions uh, and so on? But the next part of that, after we understand who they are and maybe what they're up to, is do they have the capability? So we're always trying to assess, are they capable? Do they have the tools they need? Uh, do they have transportation? 
Do they have the information, the knowledge, the passwords, the codes, the keys, uh, things that they might need to be successful in their crime attempt? Um, and so capability is just as important sometimes uh, in assessing as, as uh, their intentions uh, and their presence, uh, their networks, uh, the, the networks of the places that they use and frequent and so on. We want to understand when they initiate. You know, so initiation is important, uh, whether they initiate uh, at the beginning point um, beyond ideation to where they go kinetic or they're starting to move, uh, initiating at point of the target, right, at that target location where that individual is or that place that they're trying to victimize. That's very, very important. So as you put together your program and as we're putting together our programs and our sensor arrays and the connections we need and the compute and inferencing that we need, uh, the dissemination of that information, all this is very important. And so we have a very purposeful thing we're trying to look at. We want to detect there's one or more people that are wanting to head our way and harm us or a place or people. We want to understand, again, their intentions. We want to understand their capabilities, who, they're, who they are connected to, what places they are connected to, uh, what vehicles or other tools they might be using. Uh, we want to understand uh, all those types of things. Um, and so we also we want to be able to detect and understand any responses to the protection character uh, interventions that we might put in place. So just want to talk a little bit about uh, crime control, how we look at the world at the LPRC and at the University of Florida. Um, and so that there's a very purposeful uh, deployment of sensors online, physical sensors that, again, pick up digital, aural and visual uh, emissions and features of people, technologies, vehicles and other things that might be used so that we can better uh, detect and understand to affect people want to and help them make better choices uh, not to offend. So with that and no further ado, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio with one last caveat. We'll see a lot of you in Cincinnati for the LPRC's um, upcoming Supply Chain Protection Working Group Summit hosted by P&G, Procter & Gamble, uh, and then look forward to seeing you all in uh, Houston at the Violent Crime Working Group Summit and uh, in, in, uh, coming up in April. So stay tuned and stay posted and stay safe. Let me head over to you, Tony. Take it away. Thank you, Reed, for that great update. Uh, let me start this week with a summary from one of my favorite annual reports from RIS News. Uh, this annual study focuses on technology going into stores from an IT and operations point of view. As I just said this week when I attended the Retail Council of Canada, understanding what ops and IT is focusing on is important as the same technologies have application that can actually be leveraged in loss prevention. The 2023 edition of the Store Experience Study from RIS News is titled Remodeling Retail, and here are a few highlights. The uh, forecast for sales growth for 2023 from this study is uh, just shy of uh, 7% or 6.9%. Store IT spend is expected to increase by 4% over 22. Retailers expect to continue to expand their store counts by 3.5% overall in 2023, and they expect to conduct 37 percent more store remodels than they did in 2022. Top priorities for retailers for 2023 
from a technology point of view, uh, look like much like years gone by. So the number one is uh, customer relationship management or loyalty upgrades, personalizing in-store experience, inventory visibility, and empowering associates at the top. When it comes to the non-traditional fulfillment choices, uh, such as uh, buy online, pick up in store, or BOPIS, click and collect, ship from store and dock stores, retailers that don't already have them are planning to adopt, and those that already have them are looking to optimize those journey to recover lost margin. Confirming the importance of physical stores, a study summarized that total revenue by customer journey is taking place 70% of the time inside physical stores, 13% of the time it's buy online and deliver from warehouse, 4% is buy online, pick up a store, 5% is uh, local store delivery, 4% is ship from store, and 4% is from other. Retailers continue to close the gap between the consumer's online experience versus that at the found stores. Topping the list of IT priorities is personalizing the customer experience. And this one, by the way, finished first in five of the last six years with uh, 54% this year saying it. Uh, inventory visibility was second at 52% of respondents and has averaged 49% of the last uh, six years. The additional customer journeys and the current supply chain issues make inventory visibility all the more important. General merchandise retailer whose inventory was inaccessible during COVID clocked in at above 60%, while leaders, and those are leaders are defined, those with sales growth of more than 15% the previous years, were at 61%. Empowering store associates moved into third place at 43.7%, due in part to its relationship to the customer experience. Perennial top three furniture upgrading customer CRM and loyalty programs dropped to the fourth place this year at 43%, and completing the top five was refreshing the point of sale uh, at 42%, up slightly on last year. The top three emerging technologies from an IT point of view were SD-WAN, uh, and SD-WAN is really the pipe, uh, the data pipe that allows for data to come out of the store. And this one is very critical, especially to the loss prevention, because a lot of retailers want a centralized video, for example, and that requires a large pipe. Uh, the number two after SD-WAN is RFID, and number three is voice, walkie-talkie, in-store and parking lots uh, coming in uh, third. Uh, specifically to RFID, the author, the author state that RFID gives retailers keen insights into inventory visibility, enabling store-based fulfillment. 54% of those that have RFID deployed are general merchandise retailers. Those that have deployed RFID place a higher priority on inventory visibility at, at nearly uh, 8% and optimizing those digital journeys for stall fulfillment at uh, nearly 17%. Again, this is an important study that I urge everybody to look at the website of RIS News and study it. I also actually have it posted in, under research on my personal website because these technologies 
are very, very important to retail and they do have a spillover into loss prevention. Switching topics, uh, let me close this week with an article from CNBC on retail crime that they titles, America's biggest company said retail crime is an epidemic, but just how big a problem is it? As the article states, America's biggest retailers say organized retail crime has grown into a multi-billion dollar problem, but the effectiveness of the strategy to solve it and the validity of the data overall has come into question. Over the last several years, companies such as Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Best Buy, Walgreens, and CVS have been sounding the alarm about organized bands of thieves who ransack stores and resell goods to an online marketplaces. They pour money into theft prevention strategies such as plastic cases, metal detectors, motion sensor monitors, and AI power cameras, and have warned that if the problem doesn't improve, consumers could end up paying the price. Theft is an issue. It's higher than what it's historically uh, been, said uh, Walmart CEO Doc McMillan, and that's what he said in uh, December to CNBC, and if that's not corrected over time, prices will be higher and our stores will close. However, as the article states, the problem isn't as clear-cut as retailer and trade groups will make it seem. Studies from the National Retail Federation show retail shrink cost retailers $94.5 billion in 2021, up from $90.8 in 2020. But the data is largely qualitative and cannot be fact-checked because it's gathered from an anonymized uh, set of retailers. Plus, the $94.5 billion loss refers to shrink overall, meaning that the differences between the inventory and a company's records on its balance sheet uh, and what they actually sell. That difference accounts for items that were shoplifted, but also includes inventory that was damaged, lost, or stolen by employees. External crime accounts for only 37% of those losses, or $35 billion, the NRF data shows. At least one major retailer recently conceded that it may have, that they, that it may have overblown the problem. Maybe we cried too much last year, said uh, Walgreens chief financial officer uh, on an investor call in January. We've stabilized, he added, saying the company's quite happy with where they are. Still, law enforcement agencies and retailers insist that organized retail crime is an issue and they, and they stand behind the data. I can tell you that in our world, we know that crime is increasing. We see it every day in our stores, said uh, Scott Glenn, at the Home Depot vice president of S Protection, uh, and he said this to CNBC. Our internal information shows us that on a year-on-year-over basis, it's growing at double-digit rates. So the problem of crimes continues. We got to get better at the data. And we also got to get better at solution. And again, the perfect place is here at the Loss Prevention uh, Council for us to all partner together to a better result. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reed. And much like the last 
few months, feels like a few years, um, the news cycle and the geopolitical state has been just off the charts. So in uh, the last week, we have strikes and protests in the UK, Germany, uh, and France. Uh, we also have protests in Georgia, uh, among other Western European countries. And they're not all for the same thing, but I think the civil unrest is important to monitor because as we can see, there is somewhat of a human contagion here in, in the European countries while they're all not aligned. So in Germany, uh, you've had strikes or small demonstrations since January uh, of 2023 around workers' wages, specifically in the public sector. Um, this has been an on and off uh, activities literally since the beginning of the year and um, rounding out in the last couple of weeks around workers' pay, predominantly if, with transportation and sanitation. But we don't see any end in sight here. We see this uh, continuing. Additionally, you have some wage strikes in the United Kingdom. Uh, in France, the protests are largely based around governmental policy in changing the retirement age from 62 to 64. Georgia, um, they continue to see protests under some legal changes. Uh, and this is something that, you know, in the past couple of weeks we have seen throughout the United States, we've seen some civil unrest in the last couple of weeks and probably the most uh, important thing to focus for on for the folks that hear the potential indictment of the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, and that would be in the New York City region. Uh, the news chatter for the, the protests and their potential protests or someone arrest in the United States are largely based on a call from the former president to protest if, in fact, he does get indicted. Um, it's not clear at the time of this taping of what the, you know, the outcome will be. I can say from uh, several credible sources that there has been information shared with a lot of uh, state and local law enforcement around the potential preparation of civil unrest in certain cities if that indictment did happen. So we'll continue to monitor this here at the Law Prevention Research Council and activate the fusion net as needed. Encourage uh, all of the listeners to monitor their local and, and national news channels to kind of see what's occurring and using some of the open source intelligence tactics that we talk about here all the time, monitoring uh, social media, monitoring all those channels to try to identify what's occurring. One thing I would say around these Donald uh, the Donald Trump potential civil unrest is that it, there's actually quite a bit of planned events occurring, uh, relatively small uh, at this stage, but at any time could could transition into larger events. I know that uh, rem, you know when you think about uh, remembering the January 6th incident, what um, looked like it would be a rather small event snowballed into a much larger event. So we need to stay vigilant and look at that, certainly in the New York City market, uh, where this indictment potentially could occur. One thing that is certain uh, is that we will have some lead time and information here because of um, if this indictment did happen, it would not only be historical, but there are a lot of logistics between the Secret Service 
uh, and local and, and federal law enforcement. Uh, you cannot just arrest a sitting or a former president. Um, there are a whole bunch of rules, and this is why some of this information was leaked earlier because the Secret Service has to be notified, and basically in this case, the Secret Service sets the tone of what and won't happen. So certainly something to keep our eyes on, and we'll continue, we will continue to monitor it here Switching gears a little bit uh, into the AI space, I think we've been talking about this a lot, but I, I think it's hard to not talk about ChatGPT4. The new version is out, um, along with uh, Google has officially um, announced a small beta trial for BARD, their Google, or their AI engine. Uh, they've actually put out invites to any Google One members, so um, that's coming, as well as Microsoft and Adobe I mentioned um AI using ChatGPT4 and imagery um, coming very, very soon. Where this, uh, using some of this information, I'll use the, the Microsoft announcement as an example. Using Microsoft Bing, um, you can put in certain terms and or request a certain type of image and generative I would make an image and actually put a Bing um, watermark on it because to Microsoft what my in the microsoft release what they had said is they want to show that it, that's coming from being also adobe has announced a limited release of a to start web-based platform only to also do generative ai for images and text so one of the things that we've mentioned multiple times on the podcast is that as this type of ai becomes largely commercial commercially available and consumer available availability becomes widespread as it is today, we'll continue to see uh, what I would say is an onslaught of activities. This is good in, in one sense because the competitive landscape is changing. You'll see Google and, and Microsoft at the forefront, but then there are four or five other companies. Orthropod is one of them uh, who uses uh, their own version, uh, very similar to ChatGPT. Actually, the, there were some folks that left OpenAI to, from from OpenAI to create Orthopod. So you're seeing a chat GPT um, rival called Claude GPT, uh, all under the similar princess, uh, uh, sorry, all under the similar um, preferences or uh, of a large language model and a multi um, multi model approach. So similar, but different. And in some cases, whoever can process the most here wins. So definitely a space to talk about. I, would uh, would say that this will continue to come up, but I think it's it's important for us to stay tuned to it. And it's certainly very exciting to see what will come in this in the space here with computer vision, uh, advanced analytics, exception based reporting. I think for all of our listeners, in the next six to eight months, we're going to see uh, just a wide offering of things that will make life easier. In the in news uh, around social media, TikTok has been in the forefront of news uh, where. Basically, it has been banned uh, by the Canadian government, uh, multiple colleges, a lot of businesses, and there's now been um, some changes in the way uh, the government can uh, approach this to, again, resurface the banning of TikTok if, if there is not a change in ownership hands to a U.S. company. TikTok has really um, done a, a wide campaign explaining what they're doing to address some of these concerns. Um, one of the, the things that are, is kind of widely unknown is how the U.S. government will um, respond to some of these changes. 
it's clear that TikTok is 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 reacting to this and showing that you know all the information would be stored in, in Singapore and the United States and you know that uh, some of the guide rails around the Chinese government having infer- access to this information. Although we know that a Chinese company by law has to be able to disclose information to the Chinese government, so they're putting safeguards in place. But will it be enough? It's important because. You have a, a, a huge user base, huge user base of TikTok out there. So there are long-term ramifications here for government officials that are pushing um, this. So I think we'll continue to watch this, but I, I also think that um, we'll 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 see a resurgence of the the trying to ban this. And just for those of you that aren't really reading on this, because it is uh, news that's often missed misunderstood or miscommunicated by certain agencies. The basic premise here is that the Chinese government has legally, by Chinese law, access to this data at any time, which could, not does today, but could allow for the Chinese government to have location tracking for anybody that uses TikTok, as well as be able to potentially spread misinformation um, through the platform because of the powerful algorithm that backs it. So we'll continue to model this story. I think it's certainly something that could affect other social media uh, companies, but I, I think it's it's out there for everyone to look at. Uh, another In other news around apps and cell phones and cybersecurity, Google's App Store has flagged several apps uh, from Chinese developers uh, and e-companies for potentially um, spreading malware. Uh, some of these companies have outwardly denied this, but uh, this is just a, a continuous reminder for all of us to make sure we know what we're downloading before we go ahead and download it. Taking a, a longer look at the down, uh, at what we're downloading, what it has access to, and you know, making sure that you were doing it from reputable sources. In this case, you were using a reputable source, but I think it's important to note that. Um, we still need to take a very close look at what these apps are doing, what they have access to, what file locations they have access to. So for instance, if you're downloading an app that doesn't need access to your photos, why would you give it access to your photos? doesn't need access to a file folder on an Android phone. It's just those things that come up. If you're downloading an iOS app and ask for access to something that doesn't logically make sense, not only deny it, but then really look into, um, into it more uh, before making that that download. Last but certainly not least, and this is again all on the global front, but over the weekend, the Indian authorities, the Indian government, cut off internet access and text messaging across the state of Punjab, um, which has around 27 million people. So this is uh, the Punjabi government is. Uh, this is not the first time it's happened. Uh, the reason that they they did this is because they're we're looking to. Uh, capture and an opposer to their government, which was against the law. I think you know this is definitely a sentiment that I always say. In the past several years, India in the Punjabi Parmiti has actually been one of the countries that have get a black internet blackout more than anybody else. But Turkey has, and some other countries as well, and it has as well. And what I often say here is, when a country is shutting down. Uh, communication. There's obviously some level of concern that needs to be out there. Um, uh, in this particular uh, story, was uh, I read it in the Washington Post, and they did talk about how 
the government did allow certain text messages to go through from emergency officials or bank verification. But it really talks to um, two things. One, the power of government, but also um, the reliance that we have on internet today and, and how very challenging it is um, for uh, us to operate without it. Now, I don't uh, think that we would see this here in the United States, but we are seeing this throughout the globe, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on. The other thing is it serves as a reminder of the importance of just making sure that you have reliable backup communication sources in a business environment if, if in fact, something did occur here where you had a, a significant outage. Um, a lot, of, a lot of different stories this week. We'll continue to monitor all of them. I think uh, a lot more on the global front than the U.S. front, but we'll continue to monitor it here. And with that, I will turn it back over to Reed. All right. Well, thank you so much for all that, Tom and Tony. A great information. Uh, always appreciate working with you. And uh, I want to thank uh, Diego and Wilson again. I want to thank each and every one of you all. Uh, please let us know what you're thinking, how we can get better, what we need to be talking about, who we need to be talking to, uh, what's going to help you get better at protecting the people and places that need it. So stay safe, stay in touch. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 